good morning again, everyone. Uh, it's my real joy and delight to introduce to you Luke Harper, all the way from South Africa, a church called Common Ground in the South Peninsula. Have I got Bang that on. right? South Peninsula of Cape Town. Um, and Luke is going to be sharing a message with us this morning, which we are really excited about. But before you do, we'd love to hear a little bit about you. So tell us a little bit about your family, first of all. So I'm Luke, married to Lauren for 15 years this year, and uh, we have three kids. Um, and Lauren was almost with us, but uh, because, because of passport, uh, she's got a British passport, and um, because of delays in the process, man, the last week we, we just discovered she wasn't going to be able to come with us. So a little bit still licking my wounds a bit, but that's my gorgeous wife, Lauren, over there, and that's my eldest son Ben, he's 12, Bethany, my daughter, who's 10, and the little guy is Jack. I still can't believe you can cram so much personality into so few kilograms. It's amazing. <laughs> oh, they look like a lovely, lovely family, and we're gutted that Lauren couldn't join you as well. Oh. Um, but if you're watching, Lauren, hello, we miss you, and we will see you one day. Uh, tell For us sure. a little bit about your church as well and what you do there. So Common Ground, part of um, uh, nine churches, a family of nine churches across the city of Cape Town. Uh, we are nine, year, uh, nine years old, nine churches across the city of Cape Town. And we meet similar to you guys here, here uh, in one meeting at uh, 8.30 in the morning. Can you believe it? And then the next one at 10.15 as well. Uh, and, and that came to be through COVID, much like you guys. We Don't were, ever yeah. complain that our meeting is too early, okay? <laughs> and just one more thing. Tell us one thing we can pray for you or your church in South Africa. Yeah, so um, the, the big thing at the moment is um, obviously I'm over on this side of the world and my family is back there. It's just over two weeks I'm away from them. There's life going on there. My eldest son, Ben, is discovering which high school he's going to go to uh, out of the options we've selected. And there's some big things going on as a family and I'm not going to be a part of that. So um, I'd love it if you'd be lifting uh, Lauren in particular up and my three kiddies. Um, that would be great. Thank you. Let's do that now, shall we? Shall we just pray? Yeah, Father God, I just pray for Luke and his family and especially Lauren, uh, who couldn't join him here, Lord. I thank you that you know each of them so, so well, Lord. You know how they're feeling. You know how they're feeling a little bit dis with the disappointment, Father God. And I pray, Lord, that you would meet with them this morning powerfully, Lord. I pray, Lord, that you would strengthen them, that you would build them up. And actually, their time back in South Africa would be actually good. Yes, Lord. <laughs> that you would bless it, Father mm. God, that they would uh, just be... Yeah, built up even whilst Luke is away over here. And I pray, Lord, that you would bless the church that they are part of, Lord. And I pray that Luke will bless us today with a message he shares in your name. Amen. Amen. Thank Go you so it, much, Suze. Thank you so much. Oh man, what a privilege it is to be with you and to, to, to learn in many ways from what you're doing as well and to just share in this moment today. I am um, just in, so encouraged to hear jo Johnny Wilkes who preached here last week preaching down the road, uh, Grant preaching uh, up, up the road in Tavistock as well. Oh, sorry. <laughs> 
you guys are part of an ecosystem that is impacting the city of Plymouth. I hope you know that. If you're a visitor and you're, you're joining this church today, you're, you're stepping into an ecosystem where God is at work influencing a city. It is glorious what you're a part of. And so just to say, as an outsider coming in, man, I got to spend some time with some of your leaders, wonderful men and women, so encouraged by the way in which they honor each other, team together, and the way in which just today, this gathering and those two gatherings are happening, you're part of an ecosystem that is impacting the city. And, uh, and it's such a treat to be able to be with you today. Anyway, I would love to take a photo of you in a second. Um, and I have left my cell phone over there. I know there's cameras rolling. I'm gonna break the rules a little bit and sneak over here. Can I share a, hello, a, photogra- a photograph with you guys uh, well, with, to take with uh, back to my church back in South Africa? Would you mind waving and just saying hello? Hello, guys. So that way, uh, when, when I share about it and we pray for you guys from the other side of the world, there's some faces to put to our prayers as well. It's beautiful to be a part of a partnership, not just an ecosystem in this city, but a global ecosystem as we as Advanced Movement impact the world together. Anyway, enough by way of introduction. Uh, if you're new to church, Redeemer Church has been working through the book of Ephesians. Uh, Ephesians is a glorious book that Paul wrote where he starts off by explaining the wonders of the gospel, of what Jesus has done. And then he begins explaining, now in light of what Christ has done, How then should we live as Christ followers? What does it mean to live in light of what Christ has done? And in this final section of the book, he speaks of the war that's going on between good and evil, between God and evil. And now that you're on the side of God, how then should we live? Uh, He says you better be prepared to fight in this conflict. Today, I wanna start to unpack how we equip ourselves for this battle. And so here's a map of the message. We're gonna read the Bible text today. And then I'm gonna answer three simple questions. What is Paul saying in this text? Why is it so important for you and me today? And how do we do it in our lives? What is Paul saying? Why is it so important? And how do we do it in our lives? Does that make sense? Let's read from Ephesians chapter six and verse 10 uh, by way of introduction. And then our key key verse is part of verse 14. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against rulers and powers and authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, Take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. And here's our key section for today. Stand therefore having fastened on the belt of truth. Stand therefore having fastened on the belt of truth. Today I wanna be speaking to us about the belt of truth. What first question is Paul saying to us here? Paul wants you and I to know that you and I are in a battle, right? And to stand battle ready. The last place you wanna do is be in a battle and be sitting with your bum on the floor, right? You are dead in the water there. You you are in trouble. So Paul says, stand and be ready. Hold your ground. If you're a Christ follower, don't retreat. Don't take a step back. You and I are to stand to make us stand for Christ. And the way in which we stand is saying to us is by putting on the armor of God, by putting on the armor. This is what enables us 
to stand. Now, Paul is using a metaphor to help these, uh, to help these virtues, if you will, stick. And the metaphor of these virtues of faith and truth and the spirit is, is the metaphor of the armor of God. Uh, it wouldn't have been any different in terms of meaning if Paul had said, put on faith, put on righteousness, put on, put on truth, or take hold of your salvation. But what he, do, what he does is he, he, he takes these virtues and he puts them on the skeleton of, the, of our, a suit of armor so as to en- en- enable us to understand and to grasp what he's saying. And so the emphasis is not so much on the belt as much as it's on the truth that God is calling us to. So the first piece that uh, Paul calls us to is the belt of truth. In Greek, the actual word is girdle. Uh, A girdle in that context, it's used here as a military term to wrap around your waist, a leather sheet, so as to protect you against a strike in your belly or in your loins, right? If this was cricket kit, we'd be speaking about, you guys play cricket, I mean cricket comes from England, hey? If this was cricket kit, we'd be talking about the thigh guard and the ball box, right? Well, it just got serious for the dudes in here, right? Uh, this is what Paul is talking about. The word is girding up. In the ancient world, girding was, was, was often used to gird up your loins. It was a protective layer that would, that would protect you, like a thick leather uh, part here that would be, uh, you can move, you could fight with it, but it would protect you from a sword strike and it would actually almost um, squeeze you a little bit, almost like a corset would, if you imagine, and strengthen, strengthen your ability to stand strong. You got better balance, you got more power in your strike, right? This is what it means to gird up your loins, to, to put on the girdle of truth. Now, it's interesting here, this word truth, though, as I said, that's where I want to camp. What's interesting about truth is there's two parts to truth here, and both of which uh, come through in the imagery that Paul is drawing from. He's drawing from two places. The first place he's drawing from, remember, Paul is in prison. He's, He's under the watch right now as he writes this. He is under the watch of a Roman guard who is dressed in a suit of armor, right? So right there in front of him, he can see this armor that that Paul says to put on. And so the first emphasis of the truth is armor that you and I put on, right? To take it up. And it speaks in part to living out the truth as you live in this way. The second imagery he's drawing from, a little bit harder to see here, is he's drawing from the Old Testament prophet Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 11. Isaiah chapter 11 is this glorious chapter where he's, it's a messianic, uh, a messianic promise, a messianic prophecy. He's speaking before Christ came of what the Messiah would be like. And he says, I'll read to you from Isaiah chapter 11, verse one and five. There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse. That's David's father. They were in the line of David, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. Verse five, righteousness shall be the belt of his waist, and faithfulness the belt of his loins. What Isaiah is saying is there will come one, one day, who will embody truth. He will be truth. He will, all, all, all that truth is will be, will be wrapped up in his nature and in his words and in his being. And he will display what truth is to the world. And, and so this is not so much you and I trying to live that out. This is you and I witnessing truth defined and lived out before us. And so when you put these two together, you get that God's truth is revealed in Christ and in the gospel. It's objective. It it comes in the form of Christ. And you and I seek to understand 
And the second part then, we seek to align our lives to that truth. So there's truth as in Christ and the gospel, and then there's truth that we live out horizontally in our lives as well. It means that we don't decide on our own truth. Truth is revealed to us in Christ. Jesus, he came. We, we're now looking back on Isaiah's promise. He came and he defined truth. We don't adopt truth from our culture either. We learn the truth from God as he reveals it to us. He's the eternal source of truth. And then we align our lives to that. And so we're drawing truth from God and then we're living it out. It's like breathing in and then breathing it out into our world. Does that make sense? That's what Paul is saying. We're breathing the gospel of truth in and then we're living the gospel of truth out. Why is this so important today? Well, because Paul understands you and I are in a battle. There is a battle going on in our world. Do you know what Jesus' name for the devil was? John chapter eight, verse 44. Jesus is speaking to a bunch of religious people. They're not, quite in, they're, not, they're not on the side of God. And Jesus says, you are of your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, Jesus says, he speaks out of his own character. Other translations say he speaks his natural language. For he is a liar, he is the father of lies. There is a battle going on. You know what the, 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 the devil's weapon is? It's not, a, it's not a physical battleship like the one, I could be pointing the total wrong direction, in the harbor here uh, in, in Plymouth. I mean, we think, we think it would be that, a physical ship. No, that's not what's going on. His choice weapon is lies. Uh, it, it, what is a lie? A lie is an idea that doesn't correspond to reality. Think how the devil came to Adam and Eve in the garden. What did the devil come? Did he come with a sword? Did he come with a gun? He came with a lie. He came with an idea that didn't correspond to reality. He said, you, you won't surely die. You, you won't surely die was the, was the lie. I'm, I'm busy reading a book at the moment. Um, called Live No Lies, and, I, and it's so fortuitous, speaking of the belt of truth and reading Live No Lies, and something of John Mark Homer's thinking is in this message. John Mark Homer says this, he speaks of the power of a deceptive idea, a lie, sown to uh, a disordered desire in our hearts. You won't surely die, you'll become like God. Oh, that sounds amazing. And so she's tripped up, he's tripped up. Lies are the devil's weapon in our world, deceptive ideas that become accepted as real. And they integrate into our worldviews, into our values. We believe them, they're internalized, they become part of who we are. They impact how we live as a society. I come from South Africa. You just, it's everywhere you go, you can see how as a nation we believed and embodied lies, lies that constituted apartheid. That, 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 there were lies that were sown, ideas that don't correspond to reality and yet were believed and embraced and then even embodied in our laws and you can still see the horrific impact that has had in our nation. Dallas Willard said it like this, ideas are a primary stronghold of evil in the human self and in society. It's not just at a societal level, is it? It's at a personal level too. Your life and my life. Think about the middle-aged man who grew up being told that he'd never amount to anything. And now he spends his life as a workaholic trying to justify his existence through his career. Or the young woman who believes she's unworthy of love because she doesn't look like what she sees on Instagram. 
and has embodied this lie, takes it in, lives on it, and now it fuels and shapes her life. There's not a single human being who's not living in some way embodied, in bondage to lies in our soul. Lies shape our community, your community. They shape our lives and, and, our, and the people in it. They cause destruction and pain in the world. H.H. Farmer said it like this. He said, when you go against the grain of the universe, when you go against God's truth, you get splinters. Now, some of you may be living with the splinters of lies in your, in your life right now. I'm sure many of us are. Well, we certainly see it in a society, in a culture. The devil's weapon of war is lies. And so Paul says, put on the belt of truth. Why, if, the, if the devil is the father of lies, who's Christ? Christ is our truth. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the way and the truth is Christ. Christ's truth frees us from bondage. It frees us and breaks lies. The gospel redefines our identity, right? It redefines who we are. It redefines our purposes in life, what we do and how we're meant to flourish as human beings. It redefines how we think, what we love and how we live, who we are. And as, as that happens, as we come into alignment with the truth of Christ and the gospel, the lies, the power of lies are broken and we're freed to flourish in Christ's ways. And so Paul says to you and he says to me today, stand firm girdling the truth around your waist. What is Paul saying? Why is it so important? And third question today, so how do we do it? So how do we do it? And I want to give us three, I said three things, now I'm slipping three points into my last point. Preacher's <laughs> tricks. I know you've seen this before. Number one, feed your soul on the truth. Feed your soul on the truth. John 8, same chapter that I was quoting with Jesus speaking of the devil, Jesus says here in verse 31 and 32, so Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. If you abide in my word and you will know the truth, Christ says, feed your soul on the truth. Knowing the truth and abiding in Christ's word is what sets us free. You and I, if you're a Christ follower, life is about being informed and then being formed according to the shape of the gospel in Jesus. We're formed according to that shape. Putting, putting on the belt of truth is not... I mean, for a long time as a young believer, I thought putting on the armor of God was praying truth over my waist and you know, another element in my hand, another shield of faith in my, you know, etc. I thought I'd, if I'd prayed all those right things in a kind of superstitious way, then I'd be safe. But I, I didn't realize putting on the belt of truth, it, it, yes, it's helpful to pray truth over yourself, but you need to embody it, you need to live it, you need to get the truth into your being. It's no point just praying it over your waist if you haven't got it in your heart, you know? Well, a little bit of point, we should pray truth over ourselves, but, but the big point is get it into your being. Feed your souls on the truth. I remember as a young man, I was a really messed up, confused teenager, and I'd come to Christ as a teenager. My parents were divorced when I was five, again, and her mom remarried again when I was 12. I was just a messed up, angry teenager with so much brokenness. When you go through, the, when you grow up like that, you carry rejection with you, you know? And so just as a young man, was, that was so much of my life. But then I came to Christ, and I began to understand the gospel. And so there I was, this very insecure, angry young guy, but, but also coming into the kingdom of God, you know? 
And I came across this book. It was a guy by the name of Neil Anderson wrote a book called Victory Over the Darkness. And in this book were about three or four pages where he just spoke about your identity in Christ. It was just verse by verse, who I am in Christ. And you cannot imagine what happened to this young guy carrying all these lies and muck in my life who then came to understand what Christ had done and who I am in light of that. It set me free. I began to read these lists. I began to discover my sins were forgiven. I've been washed. That shame and guilt are gone. Maybe it's not as exciting for you, but for me, you don't know the things that I had done in my life. The shame that I carried. And now I began to understand I'm washed. I'm made new. I'm forgiven. I'm in Christ. I have no shame. My whole being begins to change and be transformed as the truth of God comes into me. I've been put into Christ. I was on my own. I was standing in my own righteousness, all according to what Luke has done. And then in, in, in believing the gospel and receiving it, I've been put into Christ, been grafted into him. My life is swallowed up in his. I am now, I relate to God. I, who I am is now defined by being in Christ. My, my self-esteem doesn't yo-yo up and down based on how well I'm doing now. no. Oh, my self-esteem is based on who Christ is, what Christ has done, and I am in him. Oh. What, it, what it does, what it does is it transforms who you are as you begin to feed your soul on the truth. So, first point, intentionally feed your, feed your soul on the truth. It's how we'll be able to recognize the lies of the enemy and stand against him. The second one, guys, we need to become more critical thinkers. We need to become more critical thinkers. You and I need to see ourselves, we are the curators of the ideas that we believe. You and I consume more content than any generation who has ever lived before us. Do you know that? You consume more content than any generation who has ever lived before you, than any generation of human beings ever. And it's not, it's not even a close comparison. Probably in one day, you consume more than the average human being in a week or a month in their life throughout history. And I'm pleading with you today to discern and be discerning about the content you consume. You've heard that phrase, garbage in, garbage out, right? Is that, that is a thing here? Garbage in, garbage out, right? We're limited as human beings in how much we can take in and draw and to retain. And we become what we feed ourselves on. One of the things I'm bringing back to my children is... M&M's, can you believe it? I went to the M&M store. Have you ever seen the M&M store in Leicester Square? It's like three or four levels of M&M's. I don't know why we need such a big store for M&M's, but we have one. And so I went there, and there is every color of M&M you can imagine, right? There's blue ones, green ones, yellow ones. Then there's crunchy ones, crispy ones. Um, there's not peanut butter M&M's, by the way, that's unique to America. I went there to get them, and you can't get them. Um, there's salted caramel. There is chocolate brownie. You get there, it's just any kind of M&M's, and I'm standing there with this little thing. There is so much content out there, guys. Your brain cannot absorb all of it, but you are responsible, like I was. Oh, I think, I think salted caramel, that'd be a winner. Chocolate brownies, you know. I've got to decide what I put inside this little thing to take back to my children. You and I are the same with our minds and with our hearts. And I don't know we're anywhere near as discerning as what we should be. 
We've got to fill ourselves with the right one. God has given us eyes. He's given us senses. He's given us eyes. He's given us ears. He's given us with which uh, hands with which to fill our minds and our hearts and the responsibility to decide what we take in and what we allow to become part of us. Your, your mind is like a pick and mix. Let's start picking and let's start mixing appropriately. Barna's recent research said that uh, surveyed young Christian millennials, right, in, in the States, and they discovered that... Um, the average millennial Christian spends 2,800 hours a year consuming digital content, of which 153 hours were Christ-based content. 2,800, of which 153 is Christ-based content. The rest is Netflix, Instagram, Facebook. I'm not, I'm not trying to say it's wrong or right. I'm just asking the question, how are we gonna become different than our culture? if we consume and feed our souls the same way. Last, question, last, last point as we come into land now. We gather to worship every week. How do we, how do we become aligned in the truth in our lives? What must we do? We, we gather to worship every week. As we gather as a body, as we sit under the scriptures, as we sing songs that declare God's truth, you and I are realigned to the truth. Our souls become realigned to Christ. You know, the, a, a magnet, a magnet is such a beautiful thing. It's powerful and it has a, it, it's just, it, the way it works is there's all sorts of little irons inside a magnet. And, and those irons, if you, beat a magnet, if you hit a magnet like this many times, it loses its power. Do you know that? The irons that are aligned, which give it its strength, become bent out of shape. But what you do with the magnet to give it its strength back is you just take another magnet and you just rub it across like this. And stroke after stroke, what starts to happen is those irons, ions bent out of shape realign. When you gather every Sunday and you gather with other Christ followers and you, you gather in the presence of God and you sit under the word of God and you sing songs about the truth of God, our souls, that get banged up when you go through life. We all do, hey? And we gather together, our souls become realigned to the truth and we recover something of our power. And so I land today by saying, yes, feed your soul on the truth of God. Be discerning about the content you consume, but prioritize Sunday gatherings like this one to worship and to realign your soul to Christ. I think there's a scope for us to stand and to begin to worship now. Jesus said, I am the way, I am the truth I am the life. Paul said, yes, it's about living truth out, but truth is objective, it has a source, it comes from God, it's real, and we breathe in the truth of Christ, and then we live it out in, in our world as we align our lives to him. Can I invite us to stand, and I'll hand over to Simon to land us in prayer.